Chapter 11 of The Negro in Literature and Art in the United States. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Andrew Kennedy. The Negro in Literature and Art in the United States by Benjamin Griffith Brawley. Sculptors. Meta Warwick Fuller. In sculpture, as well as in painting, there has been a beginning of highly artistic achievement. The first person to come into prominence was Edmonia Lewis, born in New York in 1845. A sight of the statue of Franklin in Boston inspired within this young woman the desire also to make a stone man. Garrison introduced her to a sculptor who encouraged her and gave her a few suggestions, but altogether she received little instruction in her art. In 1865, she attracted considerable attention by a bust of Robert Gould Shaw, exhibited in Boston. In the same year, she went to Rome to continue her studies, and two years later took up her permanent residence there. Among her works are The Freed Woman, The Death of Cleopatra, exhibited in the exposition in Philadelphia in 1876, Asleep, The Marriage of Hiawatha, and Madonna with the Infant Christ. Among her busts in terracotta are those of John Brown, Charles Summer, Lincoln, and Longfellow. Most of the work of Edmonia Lewis is in Europe. More recently, the work of Mrs. May Howard Jackson of Washington has attracted the attention of the discerning. This sculptor has made several busts, among her subjects being Reverend F. J. Grimke and Dr. Du Bois, and Mother and Child is one of her best studies. Bertina Lee of Trenton, New Jersey, is one of the promising young sculptors. She is from the Trenton Art School and has already won several valuable prizes. The sculptor at the present time of assured position is Meta Vaugh Warwick Fuller. Meta Vaugh Warwick was born in Philadelphia, June 9, 1877. She first compelled serious recognition of her talent by her work in the Pennsylvania School of Industrial Art for which she has won a scholarship, and which she attended for four years. Here one of her first original pieces in clay was a head of Medusa, which, with its hanging jaw, beads of gore, and eyes starting from their sockets, marked her as a sculptor of the horrible. In her graduating year, 1898, she won a prize for metalwork by a crucifix upon which hung the figure of Christ torn by anguish, also honorable mention for her work in modeling. In her postgraduate year, she won the George K. Crozier First Prize for the best general work in modeling for the year, her particular piece being the Procession of Arts and Crafts. In 1899, the young student went to Paris, where she worked and studied for three years, chiefly at Colorossi's Academy. Her work brought her in contact with St. Gaudens and other artists, and finally there came a day when the great Rodin himself, 
thrilled by the figure in secret sorrow, a man represented as eating his heart out, in the attitude of a father beamed upon the young woman and said, Mademoiselle, you are a sculptor. You have the sense of form. The wretched, one of the artist's masterpieces, was exhibited in the Salon in 1903, and along with it went The Impenitent Thief, and at one of Bain's exhibitions in L'Art Nouveau Galleries, it was remarked of her that, under her strong and supple hands, the clay has leaped into form. A whole turbulent world seemed to have forced itself into the cold and dead material. On her return to America, the artist resumed her studies at the School of Industrial Art, winning in 1904 the battle's first prize for pottery. In 1907, she was called on for a series of tableaux representing the advance of the Negro for the Jamestown Tercentinal Exposition, and later, 1913, for a group for the New York State Emancipation Proclamation Commission. In 1909, Medivall Warwick became the wife of Dr. Solomon C. Fuller of Framingham, Massachusetts. A disastrous fire in 1910 destroyed some of her most valuable pieces while they were in storage in Philadelphia. Only a few examples of her early work that for one reason or another happened to be elsewhere were saved. In May 1914, however, she had sufficiently recovered from this blow to be able to hold a public exhibition of her work. Mrs. Fuller resides in Framingham, has a happy family of three boys, and in the midst of a busy life still finds some time for the practice of her art. The fire of 1910 destroyed the following productions. Secret Sorrow, Silenus, Oedipus, Brittany Pizant, Primitive Man, Two of the Heads from Three Grey Women, Peeping Tom, Falstaff, Oriental Dancer, Portrait of William Thomas, The Wrestlers, Death in the Wind, Desapoir, The Man with a Thorn, The Man Who Laughed, The Two-Step, Sketch for a Monument, Wildfire, and the following studies in Afro-American types, An Old Woman, The Schoolboy, The Comedian, George W. Walker, the student, the artist, and mulatto child, as well as a few unfinished pieces. Such a misfortune has only really befallen a rising artist. Some of the sculptor's most remarkable work was included in the list just given. Fortunately surviving were the following, the wretched, cast in bronze and remaining in Europe, man carrying dead body, Medusa, Procession of Arts and Crafts, Portrait of the Late William Still, John the Baptist, the only piece of her work made in Paris that the sculptor now has, Sylvia, later destroyed by accident, and Study of Expression. The exhibition of 1914 included the following, A Classic Dancer, Brittany Peasant, A Reproduction of the Piece Destroyed, Study of Woman's Head, A Drink Please, a statuette of Tommy Fuller, Mother and Baby, a young equestrian, Tommy Fuller, So Big, Solomon Fuller Jr., Menelik II of Abyssinia, a girl's head, portrait of a child, 
The Pianist, Portrait of Mrs. Maud Cooney Hare, Portrait of S. Coolridge Taylor, Relief Study of a Woman's Head, Medallion Portrait of a Child, Tommy Fuller, Medallion Portrait of Dr. A. E. P. Rockwell, Statuette of a Woman, Second Model of Group Made for the New York State Emancipation Proclamation Commission, with two fragments from the final model of this, Portrait of Dr. A. E. P. Rockwell, Four Figures, Spring, Summer, Autumn, Winter, for Overmantle Panel, Portrait Bust of a Child, Solomon Fuller, Jr., Portrait Bust of a Man, Dr. S. C. Fuller, John the Baptist, Dance Macabre, Menelik II in Profile, Portrait of a Woman, The Jester. Since 1914, the artist has produced several of her strongest pieces. Peace Halting the Ruthlessness of War, in May 1917, took a second prize in a competition under the auspices of the Massachusetts branch of the Women's Peace Party. Similarly powerful are Watching the Dawn, Mother and Child, Immigrant in America, and The Silent Appeal. Noteworthy, too, are The Flower Holder, The Fountain Boy, and Life in Quest of Peace. The sculptor has also produced numerous statuettes, novelties, etc., for commercial purposes, and just now she is at work on a motherhood series. From time to time, one observes in this enumeration happy subjects. Such, for instance, are The Dancing Girl, The Wrestlers, and A Young Equestrian. These are frequently winsome, but as will be shown in a moment, they are not the artist's characteristic productions. Nor was the Jamestown series of tableau. This was a succession of 14 groups, originally intended for 17, containing in all 150 figures. The purpose was by the construction of appropriate models, dramatic groupings, and the use of proper scenic accessories to trace in chronological order the general progress of the Negro race. The whole, of course, had its peculiar interest for the occasion, but the artist had to work against unnumbered handicaps of every sort. Her work, in fact, was not so much that of a sculptor as a designer, and while the whole production took considerable energy, she has naturally never regarded it as her representative work. Certain productions, however, by reason of their unmistakable show of genius, call for special consideration. These are invariably tragic or serious in tone. Prime in order, and many would say in power, is the wretched. Seven figures representing as many forms of human anguish greet the eye. A mother yearns for the loved ones she has lost. An old man, wasted by hunger and disease, waits for death. Another, bowed by shame, hides his face from the sun. A sick child is suffering from some terrible hereditary trouble. A youth realizes with despair that the task before him is too great for his strength and a woman is afflicted with some mental disease. Crowning all is the philosopher, who, suffering through sympathy with the others, realizes his powerlessness 
to relieve them and gradually sinks into the stoniness of despair. The impenitent thief, admitted to the Salon along with the wretched, was demolished in 1904 after being subjected to a series of unhappy accidents. It also defied convention. Heroic in size, the thief hung on the cross, all the while distorted by anguish. Hardened, unsympathetic, blasphemous, he was still superb in his presumption, and he was one of the artist's most powerful conceptions. Man carrying dead body portrays a scene from a battlefield. In it, the sculptor has shown the length to which duty will spur one on. A man bears across his shoulder the body of a comrade that has evidently lain on the battlefield for days, and though the thing is horrible, he lashes it to his back and totters under the great weight until he can find a place for decent burial. To every one there comes such a duty. Each one has his own burden to bear in silence. Two earlier pieces, Secret Sorrow and Oedipus, has the same marked characteristics. The first represented a man worn and gaunt as actually bending his head and eating out his own heart. The figure was the personification of lost ambition, shattered ideals, and despair. For Oedipus, the sculptor chose the hero of the old Greek legend at the moment when, realizing that he has killed his father and married his mother, he tears his eyes out. The artist's later conception, Three Grey Women, from the legend of Perseus, was in similar vein. It undertook to portray the Grea, the three sisters who had but one eye and one tooth among them. Perhaps the most haunting creation of Mrs. Fuller is John the Baptist, with head slightly upraised and with eyes looking into the eternal, the prophet rises above all sordid earthly things and soars into the divine. All faith and hope and love are in his face, all poetry and inspiration in his eyes. It is a conception that, once seen, can never be forgotten. The second model of the group for the New York State Emancipation Proclamation Commission, two feet high, the finished group as exhibited being eight feet high, represents a recently emancipated Negro youth and maiden standing beneath a gnarled, decapitated tree that has the semblance of a human hand stretched over them. Humanity is pushing them out into the world while at the same time the hand of faith, with obstacles and drawbacks, is restraining them in the exercise of their new freedom. In the attitudes of the two figures is strikingly portrayed the uncertainty of those embarking on a new life, and in their countenance one reads all the eagerness and the courage and the hope that is theirs. The whole is one of the artist's most ambitious efforts. Immigrant in America was inspired by two lines by Robert Haven Schoffler's Scum of the Earth. Children in whose frail arms shall rest, prophets and singers and saints of the West. 
an American mother, the parent of one strong healthy child, is seen welcoming the immigrant mother of many children to the land of plenty. The work is capable of wide application. Along with it might be mentioned a suffrage medallion and a smaller piece, the silent appeal. This last is a very strong piece of work. It represents the mother capable of producing and caring for three children as making a silent request for the suffrage, or peace, or justice, or any other noble cause. The work is characterized by a singular note of dignity. Peace halting the ruthlessness of war. The recent prize piece represents war as mounted on a mighty steed and trampling to death helpless human beings, while in one hand he bears a spear on which he has impaled the head of one of his victims. As he goes on in what seems his irresistible career, peace meets him on the way and commands him to cease his ravages. The work as exhibited was in gray-green wax and treated its subject with remarkable spirit. It must take rank as one of the four or five of the strongest productions of the artist. Meta Warwick Fuller's work may be said to fall into two divisions, the romantic and the social. The first is represented by such things as the wretched and secret sorrow, the second by immigrant in America and the silent appeal. The transition may be seen in Watchin' for Dawn, a group that shows seven figures in various attitudes of prayer, watchfulness, and resignation as watching for the coming of daylight or peace. In technique, this is like the wretched. In spirit, it is like the later work. It is as if the sculptor's own seer, John the Baptist, had, by his vision, summoned her away from the ghastly and horrible to the everyday problems of needy humanity. There are many, however, who hope that she will not utterly forsake the field in which she first became famous. Her early work is not delicate or pretty. It is gruesome and terrible, but it is also intense and vital, and from it speaks the very tragedy of the Negro race. End of chapter 11